we will have an EP at the end of, of the Risk Roulette series. I believe we will. Yes. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's hit the wheel. I'm going to hit the wheel. Let's hit the wheel. It's Doctor. Wow. This song is... This song is is not seven. It's not seven, not whatsoever. Full title. I only put like shortened titles here. Full title, Doctor's Calling or? I hear the doctor calling. I I hear the doctor calling. A high point of the record. And I would venture to say that the song is, is cool. I should say it's maybe, okay, I'll go with, I'll go with it being cool. But then when they get towards probably the last minute, uh-huh. maybe 90 seconds of the song, I don't remember off the top of my head right now, but obviously we'll get there. The, the compositional strength of the last 60 to 90 seconds of this song. Oh, that's when they go all Paul McCartney, right? Yes. Are so off the charts. Well done. I mean, it's, it's one, I mean, and again, I hate, it's it's so easy to link Metallica into these conversations. Uh, Actually, I've noticed lately, quick side point, I I, I just link everything to Metallica. Yes. (laughs) Metallica Tourette's, you know? Yes. But, I have a this maiden problem. Those I don't have a Metallica problem, but I have Metallica yeah. Tourette's. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's, I, can, it's I can think of worse problems. It's not crack cocaine, you know. Oh no, crack. <laughs> no crack. But I was gonna say, like, like it's one of those things where you hear that, and this is a great example of where Mustaine has the edge, because like Metallica, it's one of those things where you hear it and you're like, well, they could never do this. Not not only. I don't know. I don't necessarily know they would want to do this, but I also don't think that if they tried to do this, that they would be able to do it as well or even close to as convincingly well done as what they did here. This song, the way they wrote this song out, it's it's about as as good as it gets. If I had to reach for something off of every record, if I had to run down every record and point to something that said, "Well, this is a, a reason to buy it," I would probably point to this song. It's fucking, it's so grandiose and strongly composed. It's, it's a real powerhouse. And unfortunately it's, it's just kind of lost to the sands of time sandwiched in the middle of a, what's a, a pretty marginal mediocre album, you know? And it's, and again, it's a shame because I think even if someone hates this record, they should at least check out this song to see what is Dave Mustaine at probably a as far as a songwriter is concerned I to me this is a this is a peak this is a high point for him cuz it's it's them dancing outside of their comfort zone and doing it successfully which they clearly missed the mark several times on this record but here they fucking nailed it they hammered it home. It's better than any song on Reload. <laughs> and again, I hate going back to Metallica. No, but, but I mean, it makes sense, know. especially for this show where, you know, we're just going to have to yeah. sign an agreement to 
not punish ourselves for doing that. Right, exactly. But yeah, yeah. it's interesting, and I'm going to actually make another connection to Metallica before we play the track, and it's that Load and Reload, Sankt Anger, not even those records are buried like this one. So it's a really good point oh. that it's sad how this sort of just failed and brought down what's good with it in in the fall. Because, I yeah. mean, Attitude, uh, Prince Charming, Bad Seed, they fucking suck. But they can still pull Fuel live. And mm-hmm. I always kind of dug Fuel. I think it's a nice, cool song. It's fun. A great solo in that one. One of Hammett's top ten solos, actually, in that one. Bridge Park. It's, it's a cool track and they can take it out. And Sankt Anger, I like the chorus in that song. Uh, it's a pretty, it's a good, it's a good chorus. No, no regrets. Hit the lights. I like that part. It's fast. Yeah, I like the octave riff on it. Yeah. Game for riffs. I oh, got two guitars today because. Yeah. I got two guitars today, uh, pulling, out, guitars. pulling out all the stops. <laughs> no, yeah. actually one of them has a humbucker and it's tuned to E-flat. Mm. And that's the one I picked out now. So uh, here we go. The reverb on. But the main point is, they can bring those tracks out without having to account for bullshit like Prince Charming. What the fuck is up with that song? Hey, ma, look, it's me. (laughs) That's that's Uh. terrible. Hey, ma, hey, ma, look, it's me. The dark cloud up here. (laughs) That's me. And then, like, attitude is something about, like, putting a bag on fire. Attitude. Bag on fire, that bag of shit on fire, run like hell. They don't have to account for that. They somehow no, they manage to, to take the 
the good out of uh, I mean Reload is arguably their worst record uh, they still they can feature it but Megadeth cannot no matter how good they would do it today uh, even Insomnia I kind of started liking last time they can't take that out they can't take uh, I mean not even crush them would fly they really managed to kill everything that yes. is on this record and that's sad. this record is like it's it's become across the board irredeemable it's basically it's become anathema to their fan base and just the general listening audience but also there's things they could have done to- and i would argue it's it's probably better than reload you know there, as a record i agree yeah i agree i i, I just think that the, part of that is is on megadeth because they could have found a way to reframe the perception of that record by by keeping songs like that in the set list yeah and just surrounding it with with the good shit you know and they just chose to instead of owning it they they just turned and, and ran as far and as fast away from it as they could forever you know and so by that i think th- a lot of the perception of that record is kind of on them because they themselves, not just the fans, the fans didn't dictate the perception of that record. I mean, they did partially, but Megadeth took the fan opinion and then made it their own and basically disowned it as fast as they owned it. Yeah, they ran away. They ran away. They ran away from it as fast as they could. And that's, so that's basically just... I'll make a jazz parallel because that's fun. A bit yeah. of jazz, and it's like, yeah. I think, I mean, this could be credited to any cool guy saying this. Maybe no one said it, that it's just a kind of a, what, what's the word, like a um, uh, proverb or something? But it's like, proverb, if, yeah. if, you, if you improvise and you play the wrong note, see to it that you play that wrong note four times more, because then it will not seem like a mistake. That's right, exactly. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what they didn't do with this, running away from it like this, it's like, you know, everyone would know it was a bad note because yeah. they saw you running. <laughs> they saw you yes. fucking running. Exactly. Exactly. Also, in one of the rare videos where you get to see Lars speaking Danish, a fan is outside and telling him that Sankt Anger is not a good record in Danish. And he's like, well, it's not that. It's, it's different. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> That's the attitude you should have, you know. Yeah. I like I like the honesty of the fans like that that could just walk up to the guy. Oh, Sanktanger, that record sucks. Editor's note. I couldn't manage to find the clip with the ballsy Danish woman dissing Sanktanger right in Lars's face, but I found a little compensation with this clip where we get to hear Lars speaking Swedish, or at least Svansk. Du svensk? Ja. Okej, okay, det ska vi... Ska jag snacka svenska? Prata svenska? Okej. Okay. <laughs> Då kommer du från Sverige? Eh, norr. Norr Sverige? Ja, Lappland? Nej, inte, inte okay. Lappland, men Helsingland. Helsingland, okej. Okay. Mm. Wow. Var kommer du till, till, till uh, Horsens därifrån? Tåg. Tåg? Okej. Okay. Mm. 17 timmar. 17 timmar i tåg? Ja. <laughs> oh. mm. Han bor här. <laughs> Han bor her 17 timer i toget. Det er meget svært. Jeg vil føre med i bil. Tak. Cool. Tak. Det var hyggeligt. Ja, Vi det samme. Ja. Tak. 45. <laughs> okay. Hej, hej. Goddag. Hej. Er det dansk afdeling? Ja, det er okay. så. Hvor kommer du fra? Okay, let's listen to 
hear the doctor calling. I think about Operation Mindcrime when I hear this. That's all you have to do. Kill Mary. She's a risk. And get the priest as well. Daddy. Daddy. At least it's evil sounding, you know? No, it's a good it's a cool riff. <laughs> It's also like a bit dehumanizer, this riff, you know? After all, the dead or something. Four on the floor. The chromaticism is back. All right, let's stop there. What do you think about the first part of the song? Uh, I think it's cool. And I will say simply like this. Give Dave Mustaine three notes that are right next to each other, and he's going to do something cool with it. <laughs> he's great right. with chromaticisms. And the yeah, riff itself right. is some Iomi-esque, you know, kind of a little bit uh, after all, um, or something like that. Dehumanizer era, I own yeah, uh, Absolutely. Production is busy, 90s busy, radio voice, and a child's voice and all, but uh, good. You know, good. It could be like a rock opera or something. I think about good stuff like Operation Mindcrime and Dehumanizer. So, uh, so yeah, far, so I good. What do you think? I think that this is, a, again, it's it's got an evil sounding riff. I mean, so there's an element of, met, you know, metal to it. Man, man. And just the build of it. And the samples and the extra the Tom voices, hits. Boom. Boom. yeah, and and the bells and all this stuff. Very like, dramatic. You tell, yeah, you could tell right off the bat that this song is going to be that they're they're building tension at the very least. Interesting. If this is all you've ever heard of this song, yeah, this is probably the best song on this record. I think. Um, I will make such conclusions after we're done with this whole series, but um, yeah. definitely, like, yeah, let's let's hit it. It's a bit of a longer song too, just like kind of seven. So I'm gonna let it roll a little bit longer, so we're not kind of belaboring the point. Sure. A bit of distortion on um, the bass. This is a good chorus. Mm-hmm. The, the major chord there, interesting. Minor, minor, major. Very Beatles-esque to do that. What do you think of the chorus? Great, and I mean the pre-chorus is almost like ugly but by design. But it's still interesting. It's still songy, it's still tuneful compared to anything in, in Seven. And the chorus, I think it's excellent. I think it's one of their best choruses. Yeah. And uh, they substitute one of the chords for a major chord in the style of uh, George Harrison, you know, song like Something or Here Comes the Sun or 
something like that, which is kind of high level to do. This, you know? That's definitely, well, obviously, I think um, Megadeth, they covered. Hear the doctor's calling. And then it kind of, you know, brightens up and it's really nice. They covered uh, solo George Harrison, I think, on a number of occasions. Ah, okay. They covered, uh, I think they did an acoustic gig in maybe Brazil where they covered My Sweet Lord, I think. Great tune. So obviously that that influence is in Mustaine's wheelhouse, or at least in his memory banks to cull from. So would not surprise me if he was uh, specifically influenced by either the Beatles or um, or George Harrison himself. So George Harrison would fit because he was kind of uh, well, he wasn't kicked out of the band. He he left himself a few times because he was marginal right. marginalized. Though he was like yeah, he uh, was very much so. But that's gonna happen if you're in a band with with Lennon McCartney, though. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you're in the band with Lennon and McCartney, you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be an odd man out. You know? Yeah, no, I'm a I'm a massive Beatles fan, and he was probably my fave in the beginning. But I kind of settled for Paul in the end, like uh, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the least cool of them. Uh, as you get older, you like you, you stop caring about who's the coolest, and then it's like who wrote right. the best tracks, and I think it's Paul. Uh, but uh, a huge Beatles fan anyway, so and I right. I, I would assume uh, Mustaine is too. You know, most songwriters oh, absolutely. are. Most songwriters are at some point they just discovered that treasure. Well, even with the um, the addition of the strings or the symphonic element, and the Beatles were the first rock band to really kind of bring that into the mix. You know, Strawberry Fields and shit like that. So yeah, like, and even before on Eleanor Rigby, it's not, oh, yeah, Beatles yeah, are not even right. in there playing. <laughs> it's just yeah. choirs. Paul is singing yeah. lead, and then it's just this amazingly brilliantly arranged by George Martin, the producer, arranged like. Uh, String section. It's just uh, great. The song is like two minutes flat. It's the length of a grind core tune. I love that too. You know. <laughs> the 60s were fucking cool with that. They've made songs like 2, 2.30. Uh, yeah. I uh, just want to make it known on, uh, well, at least in uh, United States East Coast time on uh, 12.08 a.m. on May 28th, 2023. Uh, Johnny made a comparison to a Beatles song and a grind course song. <laughs> I don't know if that's don't know if that's ever happened in mankind or, or history kind Maybe or not. I'm a or big anything, fan of both those things. Yeah. I did want to make that uh, that noteworthy because I don't know if I've ever heard that comparison uh, before myself. So, and over yes. the backdrop of uh, risk. Yes, yeah. while talking about Megadeth risk. Yeah, we're just hitting all historical landmarks here, folks. Stay tuned. There's more where that came from. <laughs> Solo time. Nice tambourine too. I have never really paid much attention to the Grasso, but he's a really good drummer. In this track, he really like benefits the song, which is already a well-written track, but they laid back grooves, lots of like air, and there was this fill that kind of left the meter, like brilliantly played. Well, that's why he's that's why he's been in so many bands across the the spectrum of of so many different genres because he's, I mean, he's a true session drummer, and the fact that you can put him. Really, in any, he's almost like a Swiss Army knife. You could really put him in any situation, and he'll have, a, he'll have, he'll find a use for himself to, 
to implement his himself as best as possible. He's he's a true servant of the song. That's why he's been in um he's been in Megadeth. He's been in Alice Cooper's band. He's been in Suicidal Tendencies. Mm-hmm. He's been in White Lion. Like mm-hmm. I mean, he's oh, been in too, huh? Yeah, he's been in so many of these bands. He was in Y&T, okay. you know. He's been in in just so many bands and and obviously just listen to all the bands I just listed. Very few of them are are repeat you know, as far as the style is concerned, the closest thing you're going to get is maybe Suicidal Tendencies and Megadeth. But even that's, obviously, if you know the bands, you know that there's a difference there, too. Um, so, I mean, well, he's... Y and T, is that Intuition? Is that that band? I am not too familiar with Y Maybe that's T and T, actually, from Norway. Ah, I don't know. But it's kind of AR, I guess. But yeah, I was going to say, yeah. uh, he's on Dread and the Furity Mind too. is he? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he's on and that. It, it's not as impressive there. So I think this may be is the song that really like uh, begs for his style of drumming because if he's gonna thrash it out or just be heavy he can do that sure very well yeah. serviceable but this is he gets to kind of express himself a bit more in this track i'm really enjoying that uh, you know just the way he plays the ride uh really yeah. cool and uh he's got a lot of taste he's a very tasteful player he's not yeah. like i mean like like all drummers you know he's got you know he's got the flashy shit in his repertoire but like i've never I mean, I've only ever heard him play on. I think I've only ever heard him play on maybe three records, maybe. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think he, I don't think he made it to any White Lion records. Okay. I think he was just a live drummer for them. But, um, I think. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I've only heard him play on three records, and I think they were all either suicidal. Or, or Megadeth, Megadeth records, but um, I, just by looking at his uh, his resume, you'd have to assume that I mean, he wouldn't be that broad of a performer if he didn't have the capabilities to to fit in, you know. So, and coming in after decade of Mensa and yeah, basically that, before yeah. that Gar Samuelson, I mean, it's yeah. not a re- it's, it's a big is four big shoes to fill really at this point. He learned the Megadeth set. On like uh, three or four days' notice, too, and that's mm. that's impressive. You know, yeah, it is on it the, is. the middle of the cri- the cryptic writings tour, so they were still doing a lot of older stuff, much more involved stuff. So to learn all that stuff in really a truncated time period um, is really impressive. I mean, that's that's a, a hallmark of really the best session drummers: their ability to kind yeah. of um, adapt and um, involve themselves really in in short fashion i mean that's really that's time is money in the session world and you kind of got to get in and you got to immerse yourself as deep and as fast as possible and that's that's how you do it and so that's what he did something that really impressed me was uh, previously mentioned gene hoagland when he filled in for uh, martin in opeth and he listened to demon of the fall and the draper falls which is 15 minutes of music he listened right. to them twice, and then he performed them on stage with Opeth. And he didn't miss a beat. That's, That's cool amazing. stuff, you know. And uh, I, I used to think that was pure magic, but I've gotten better myself at that kind of listening. You have to listen in a particular way that really registers, especially the structure of the tune, because you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can fill in with something of your own in the in the gaps or you know the drum fills, but or the guitar fills. But that's what I try to do as well when I begin teaching myself, like. A, Another band's tune on guitar. If you listen really carefully twice, don't even play. 
just listen super carefully in a, in a certain manner you can get there i think that's how the grasser would do it too with you know three or four days notice yeah. and you, you have to be calm too you, you can't be stressed about it like oh fuck this is a difficult part i'm yeah. gonna forget this you have to be really calm and just uh take in the song and try and understand it from the position of writing it the way i've i've been able to do stuff like that and i almost feel like this is maybe ass backwards although i've been able to make it work for me it can almost be like sticker shock if you look at the number of songs you have to learn if it's a short period of time if you say yeah. well i have you know i have whatever uh 12 to 14 songs i have to learn in the next three days or four yeah. days or whatever it is you know, and the the way I look at it is I almost like, I almost overcomplicate it. I almost double that. I almost turn it into like 28 songs because I find- Chop them up. I chop them up and I turn mm. I turn one song into like four. Basically, I turn one song, or, 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 or one regular length song, and I turn it into four grindcore songs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like that's basically well, that how, because I feel like that's how I, I kind of get- get romantic i guess for lack of a better word with the song that's how i that's how i establish a bomb with it by getting to know every part of it you yeah. know and i think if i look at everything for the full picture i think it's going to be much more intimidating for me to just look at that one picture and be like oh my god i have to figure out a way to repaint all of this but if i break it down into sections then it kind of makes it easier for me to digest and, and then reproduce i guess so maybe hoagland looks at it the same way to me that's how i would get it immersed quicker is by getting to know the nuts and the bolts and, and break down the song. But I almost feel like that's that's kind of backwards too. So In a way, but it's, a, you know, what's the word? Uh, when you back engineer, reverse engineer. It's kind of reverse engineering, really. Because yeah. <laughs> I've done that too. Like uh, for a while there, like after I had a break from playing in bands, or playing guitar at large, I started playing with Peter again and we would just jam for half an hour with the, the nice microphones set up. And then uh, I, had, I would have a half an hour of an MP3 you know just jamming no click or anything just random uh, i would take that i would like chop away what i didn't like i would have maybe 15 minutes left and then i would divide that 15 minutes into 24 parts in a similar fashion just to understand and be able to also communicate to him uh, with names you know i just come up with names fire dance or something is 40 seconds of a part which could of course become a song or part of a song or anything so for me it's a way to just kind of extract the contents so i can totally see that yeah yeah let's listen to uh, the rest of the song almost right or maybe we do the solo well, i want to get i want to get it to i'll let it play to right before i think the song really yes your favorite really, part of, yes, uh, of the yeah, entire absolutely. era of Pro the band. probably the whole record actually yeah. mm. Very cool way to drop back into the chorus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're about to. Uh, yeah, we're about the four forty-two mark into the song, and obviously, you know, the that was a, a very tasteful, well-played lead by Marty, and even the sort the of like an anti-solo. It wasn't the solo, yeah, just a lead. More of like very, a very more cool. of like a lead, yeah. But it kind of, and even with the 
na 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 like the kind of choir kind of echoing what the riff was i you know that could be taken i think depending on how you do it, that could come off corny but i thought it was well done here actually i was thinking the same like it's a typical kind of maybe a hokey risk trick you could call yeah. it but it works that's the it difference works it just works that's correct and yes, it's cool they, with they the the riff obviously has the diabolos in music you know the lower the lowered yes. fifth, um mm-hmm. th- three full notes above the tonic um, the devil's note but mm-hmm. it also sounded to me like marty was soloing in lydian which is with the devil's note but also with the major third which is happy you know the the happiest mm-hmm interval yeah. and it creates this kind of magic carpet vibe that is very commonly used by satch for example he uses that a lot or or mm-hmm. steve i so you got like a, a major type scale but with that evil note in it. And also even like Danny Elfman, Simpsons theme has that too. That's right. That's right. Um, so really cool, really soundtrack, you know, um, soundtrack-esque. That's one of the elements I like. It does have that kind of score or soundtrack-esque Very vibe much. to it. And this is and this is the part of the song where I think that they especially hammer that home. There's almost like sometimes you could you can do too many false endings or deceptive yes. cadences and you could do it in a way that kind of ruins the song and i feel like they kind of do that in a way here in a in a very tasteful well, maybe deceptive cadence isn't the right word but i don't know if you haven't heard it anyone listening you're about to hear it now this is to me the best moment of the risk album by megadeth it just it's it's just the sign of someone who knows what the fuck they're doing. That's really like in a record where a band sounds lost and confused and kind of be identity crisis for times. sure. Yes. Happening, yeah. An identity crisis record. This is a, this song is the sound of a band that when th- that they knew exactly what they were doing here and they fucking nailed it. They nailed it. That song's the shit. I think that the song. way they ended that song, I mean, it's just so so grandiose and kind of, you know, it's just 
And it's just it's just very well done. Like Actually, kind of beautiful. I, I, that would be the the word I would go for. I would say it's abs- I wouldn't even say kind of. I would just say it's beautiful. Beautiful, you know, it's bit. Just, beautiful. It's very well done. It's amazing just how it's kind of adds to the whole befuddlement of this record. How how they could swing and miss so wildly in other parts, but then not only connect here, but connect like hugely. Like you know, so it's very weird that they're. They're so at odds within themselves as a band at this point that they could really be that inconsistent within just a matter of a couple songs. Because, I mean, this song, I think, is right in the middle of the record, and Seven is a few songs later. So it's like they're just, you know, they're just, they're all over the map. But luckily, their, their compass hit the right points a few times, you know? We could only hope Lars Ulrich wishes for this song to be played live. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> otherwise we're not gonna hear it right exactly yes if lars well lars went out and said um you know i really wish he would add uh doctor is calling to the set list and fuck it'd be on every tour from here on out for, <laughs> till the end of time i'm yeah. i'd be okay with that too i think more people would need to be okay with the song you know um who was it one of our brilliant listeners who made like a comparison uh, with this song to a very interesting they, an interesting connection to a to a 60s band i believe i i vaguely recall it like but uh, i can't remember the name oh you know it wasn't it wasn't a 60s band it was an 80s band crowded okay. house oh yeah crowded house that's it yeah crowded house yes that's correct yeah i remember that mm-hmm. right across the open pull out the lyrics here because i'm only familiar with the title really but it's kind of a dramatic striking title again like a short movie short movie festival or something you know independent short movies uh, one could definitely be named the doctor's calling yes so there is this like kid right daddy daddy doctor's calling yeah something's gone wrong nowhere i think do that's I belong. um i think the child i think it's actually uh one of dave's kids i think it's his son actually okay with yeah. his five jobs right yeah that was that was, that was his first ever job <laughs> so typical of dave just brag about that kind of stuff of course yeah like it's not good to have five jobs okay yeah. something's going wrong nowhere to belong the family crest is falling there's a that has an, a cool ring to it there's a lot of drama in it like a family yes. drama type th- deal right yes it is what would it be about according to you i don't know could 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 be about like uh someone kind of you know, uh, falling into madness, you know? Possibly. I don't know. Could be. It's uh, definitely a, a family falling apart, right? Family crest yeah. is falling, doctor calling, yeah. see the shark line crawling. It's definitely about some sort of mortality or something unraveling, something not good happening. <laughs> yep. Now, reading it, reading through the whole thing, it's not super on the nose. It's more of a vibe lyric. Definitely yeah. good um, a good lyric in conjunction with a good song, I would say. A uh, lot of end rhymes that I would normally maybe have a problem with, but uh, right. he makes them work. Yeah, you know when it, when you, it's a rhyme on every single row, falling, calling, falling, crawling, that kind of this, stuff. But this record is kind of the end of the the 
for me, this is really the last record where Mustaine had any kind of lyrical edge to some degree or some type of just slant that maybe made him one of the more cut above lyricists hmm. in the genre. This was the last time I, I felt like he had really any semblance of that. It seems like from... World Needs a Hero, it's weaker, right? World, it seems like from World Needs a Hero, basically till t- current day, there's been uh, a drop-off. Maybe he just peaked in the 90s, and just when the 90s ended, so did his peak as far as a lyricist is concerned, and there's just something missing, you know? And it's unfortunate because I really thought that you know, he was one of the better ones you know, in, in his prime, and, you know, I think that it kind of ended here, you know? I'm not saying that, that this song specifically is, you know, some lyrical masterstroke, but to me, there's definitely... Um, it fits, though. It fits. It fits. It's intriguing yes. enough. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like he's trying... Like, I don't know. When he, I feel like when he's trying to be heavy metal singer, he's trying to reach into a part of his brain that doesn't really exist anymore, isn't really a particularly... Return to the hangar was kind of the beginning of that, you know? Really reaching back. Uh, and I don't uh, know if that's a oh, bad or good lyric, thing, but... It was a tired concept, the going returning to hangar, but I honestly thought that the way he spun that was actually kind of well All done. Right. Even if the even if the concept or the approach was redundant and and lazy, I thought that that was that was the song on that record where I could still hear that lyrics. But uh, again, that was by and large that that was just not there because. 100 times goodbye or 1000 times goodbye is also on that record and that song is fucking trash. You did what? Yeah. You suck. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You suck solo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. I equated a little bit to Hetfield's riffage actually. Like uh, even the better riffs that that he did let's say from load and on they don't there's something lacking just like you said with Dave's lyrics. There's just mm-hmm. something lacking, and much like Dave used to be a master pen, Hetfield was the master riff guy, but he, he's lost it along the way, and they still make good songs, but it's never really by way of awesome riffage. Yeah. Not often, you know. It's, it's usually good singing, actually. His singing is usually what brings a song like, for example, I don't like Death Magnetic, but I really dig All Nightmare Long. And that's more about the singing than the riffs. Right. He, he for some reason he can't crack out a cool riff anymore, and uh, you know, similar with Dave's lyrics, I guess can't make them cool. They lose something, you know. I mean, it's it's almost like a trade off that you don't really have a control over. It just happens like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. As a fan or a listener, you have to accept it, I guess. Yeah, it's it's that it's that or nothing, you know. Basically, yeah, down true. To, yeah, it's that or nothing at all. I'm realizing I haven't listened to Return to Hangar in perhaps 20 years, so that's going to be interesting to revisit uh, for that's this definitely, show. I think it's the best song on that record, and of course I'm going to say that because it's one that got the it's got the one like super fast part on the record. But I think that that song all across the board is just the best one. The lyrics again, I think the for whatever he was trying to do to revisit Hangar 18, which again conceptually is lazy and, and ill advised. It's never. I think stuff like that is just kind of never, it's never great to go back because it's never as good as the original. But, you know, I I have to give him his flowers and his respect there. He actually did an all right job there. The lyrics were okay. The lyrics are probably good. Hmm. So I think that concludes it. It, This was the terror that was Risk Roulette. This was the terror that is the Risk Roulette. And thank you very much for uh, 
sticking with us uh, for a year in season one. And oh yeah, it's been great. It's been great. Yeah. Very very happy about this whole project. It's it's been yeah. so much fun. Every recording is always a lot of fun as well. Uh, and we do it seldom enough, so it's almost a bit Christmassy every time. You know. Yeah, so, it is. Cool it's thing very much yeah. a Christmassy kind of vibe, but. Yeah, uh, uh, season two is gonna be uh, it's gonna be cool. Um, coming your way. You already outed it, so we can say that again. That the interview yeah. series is coming. It's another great concept. I'm excited about it because it's a bit different to what I've done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we've had plenty of guests on Maiden A to Z, but they've been talking, you know, analyzing a particular Maiden track or you know just joining the ranks like we did with Punt. This is a bit different. You know, that more of the scope is because I mean we go out of our way to. To make this a, or actually, we don't even go our way to make it. It is a death metal podcast. <laughs> it's very uh, it yes, is. it's a low key death metal podcast disguised as a mega death podcast. So we got more uh, of that gold, and uh, you know, it's just going to be a, a bit of fun. I know some of the artists we have in mind, and I know some of the guys that have confirmed. It's good stuff coming in, mm-hmm. really. It's, uh, it's going to be. Yeah, it's really it's cool. Be I mean, if you're fans of metal, um, you're going to dig it. Uh, if you're fans of, you know, underground metal, specifically death metal, it's definitely going to like that. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously uh, our, our, uh, our DMS are open. Um, if you know anyone who might be interested, if you have a band uh, you know, just hit us up and, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. We've got to get a little bit more of that communication going because compared yeah. to how many listens we got, we don't have that much back and forth going, at least not on Twitter, you know? So uh, yes. I guess maybe this is even a plead to, to anyone out there. Just uh, yeah. get your nose a little bit more in our business. Yeah. Thank you for abiding out. our anti-social behavior for year one, but we are open to being maybe slightly more social for a year in season number two. Yeah. Like yeah. in the beginning, I asked Greg, do you have Instagram? Greg said, no. It's like, oh, nice. Then we don't have to have an Insta. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't think we're still. I don't think that's going to change. I don't nope, intend to take nope. on a new no, uh, social media enough. account. Twitter but enough. yeah, catch us on Facebook. Catch us on Twitter. Uh, and uh, so far, so pods of what at gmail.com Shoot us uh, messages there, and uh, yeah, we'll get to all that shit eventually. Do you have any recent listening, like one song or one album, just to kind of round this off, or, um, some record at the top of your pile? Um. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to the. Um, the newest um, newest album from Enforcer from uh, your neck of the uh, woods. I know those guys. I don't know them personally, but I know. Yeah, them. it's called uh, Nostalgia. Off them. Um, really cool stuff. I think that that's the band that probably I think kicked off the uh, Nawatham, <laughs> the new wave of traditional heavy metal, uh, back in two thousand eight when their debut came out. I think that that was probably the beginning of that uh, that movement. And um, I think they've been one of the premier bands ever since. Um, I, I don't have all their records. They kind of you know, some of the records I kind of get into more than others. But you know, they they never lose me for too long because they generally have a way of you know pulling something uh, back to uh, more of what I like from them. And, I, and that's not even to say that you know what they normally do when they have done records that I haven't been as fond of that they've really strayed in such a manner that I just can't be associated or affiliated with it or bother with it. It's just that they have a sound that I always thought was capable of more than what they had done on certain records. And I feel like on this record, they've really pushed their sound to a level that I thought it was capable of, where they still have, trust me, if you haven't heard it yet and you're familiar with the band, there's still plenty of fast, speedy shit. 
on this record. It, is it a bit of a thrash band? But the name is. Nah, I would say if they or were anything, just heavy. they're probably closer to. If you were gonna dissect it, I would say they're probably closer to like um, speed metal or, or faster oh. heavy metal. Faster heavy metal because we they can don't use really the term have... speed metal because we went out of our way to explain it in the beginning yes. of the show. So it, it's a it, it it's is almost an archaic a, term, it's but a not dead in this... genre, a dead term. But if you're in the know of the underground, kind of do have to know it. I mean, it's a it's a, a living term in SFSP. Yes, we we that's kind right. of uh, we we did the what's the word Res- resuscitation 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 we resuscitated it we uh, we did the chest compressions yes and speed metal woke up again and yes. reared his head and just tuk-tuk-a, tuk-tuk-a. yeah <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't call them a speed metal band I would just call them a traditional heavy metal band mm-hmm. um, that just has a capability to play fast a lot um, which is speed metal which is speed metal kind of yes kind of because yeah. it's very much of a no, it's very much it it doesn't tread into thrash unless unless tempo is what dictates thrash for certain people but for me it doesn't not just tempo but just how the way it's played but they're definitely more of a classic style metal band and on this record i feel like they finally have achieved that next level of what the capability of their sound had initially presented itself to me as where they've had added some really dramatic uh powerful maybe closer to like sabotage circa gutter ballet album uh type vibes and uh, i really enjoy it and that's really what i've been listening to a lot as of late i think it came out like maybe two or three weeks ago oh yeah so a recent one that's always cool So you went recent, you went Sweden. I'll go old in America then. All right. Just to match it up. And uh, this band is a band that I really dig. And I feel like they're very well known, but not very well praised. I don't hear much praise for them, except from Homer Simpson, actually. <laughs> it's the Grand Funk Railroad. <laughs> Yeah, they've kind of, they kind of, um, I think that they haven't really, they haven't really aged well here because they really didn't have a lot of relevance. They sound like an old rock band for sure. Yes. Let 
It's not so much like this is ahead of its time or anything, it's like this is off its time. They broke up for a long period of time, and when they got back together, I mean, their, their window of, you know, what they were was long since closed, and I don't think that they really have much of a trajectory, career tra- trajectory outside of the 70s. And late 60s. However, they have a lot of classic rock songs that are on classic rock da- radio to this day, and so... I guess mainly we're an American band. That's a big one. Great song, though. It's a great song. I love that track. It is. It's a big one. It's a big one. And they've been able to kind of sustain themselves as a career. I mean, they still, people come out and see them. So they obviously made their mark, you know, in the time. Coming to your town, bring the party down. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's America. (laughs) I love it. Ain't that America, right? (laughs) I love it. Yeah. That song actually like exemplifies why I'm a, a, a perpetual fan of, of, of America. It's just like a bit bigger, a bit wider than the British, the excellent British rock from that era. The excellent stuff, but this is like a bit wider, bigger, and also a bit more groove. Not as maybe, not as weird, peculiar as Led Zeppelin with starting and stopping like Black Dog. It's more like, and I imagine, I would imagine, I mean, I've seen videos, but I haven't seen them in person, but I would imagine great fucking live band like really tearing it down and harder live than on record i would imagine they were probably way heavier live absolutely a lot of bands in that era were for sure true true and uh, and again they were also active in the late 60s so they were i mean they were kind of spearheading the heavy rock sound but it's just that they didn't really leave a mark on the genre you're right about that kind of in that um that same mold is like uh I don't want to say similar fate, but I guess for lack of a better term, I'll say similar fate is a band of like Mountain, where they kind of came and went, and they left their mark. Vanilla Fudge was another band that kind of just did excellent stuff and then they disappeared. I think, yeah, but I think that they were probably, I don't know if they were as heavy as a band like Mountain or, or Grand Funk even, but yeah, similar in that similar in time frame where they were kind of pushing rock towards, you know, higher volume, heavier style music and they just kind of had their window and then it just kind of came and went and then poof it was gone you know they went one louder it's one louder isn't it yeah that's what they did one One louder louder. that's right (laughs) one thing that probably comes to play is that they got severely fucked by terry knight who managed them severely fucked a lot of those bands got taken to the cleaners yeah for sure all the money and ran and then you know when once that was kind of rectified 10 years later the irs came after them because he had also been cheating taxes in their names so yeah. yeah, poor band and um, that's awful. Farner, that's the singer Farner is a really, really, really good singer. You, you tend to forget because you know he, he does the guitar too. Right, that's right. Where do we go from here? Well, we kind of mentioned where we are intending to go from here. Yeah, but should we really care? Should we really care? The end is finally here. God have mercy. See ya! It's because it's easy to get into the zone where you're just like, you want to get everything down to like the, the nanosecond of of tightness and that's when and that's when you could lose vibe if you get too into that because it's important to keep the vibe yeah you know it has to be fun it has to be fun and if you 
you know, everyone plays better, you know, when they're loose and it's kind of like a live thing. Cause it's obviously the studio is inherently sterile as you know. Yeah, of course. And so if, if you, I, for me personally, I feel like if you lose any semblance of minute recklessness and just get so into the sterility of making sure everything is just spotless, like that's when, that to me is when I start having trouble tracking. Yeah, it's true, actually. I mean, if you go too far with that, you can hear it in the result, or actually the day after even, like, oh, this is stiff, you know, there's no there's no fire here mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So, but at the same time, it's, it depends on the music. With, with uh, well, more extreme stuff with Peter, with Strapaz, it's uh, easier. The, the, the riffs are harder, but it's easier mm-hmm. to make it sound like I want it. And the, the um, Astral Guard thing, the heavy metal, I want it super tight for some reason. And it becomes a bit like, ah, fuck. And also Emil played very tight on that one. <laughs> so it's like, mm-hmm. he's not leaving that much space for me to... to um, to play messy and it's not that style it's right. not a messy style it's more you know it was inspired by priest uh, crimson gloria that kind of stuff you know it's that stuff to be is pretty tight it's supposed to be pretty tight there's really not a lot of room for i mean because that's the thing that's a part of the vibe i mean you can't really have a vibe that's half especially if that's the style of guitar playing you kind of you can't really have if you want to if you want to nail that vibe you really can't have the looseness nope. you know so you really kind of have to really digging it but i found just even something as simple as doing a track while standing instead of sitting yeah kind of kind of helps things because at least that's i mean that's closer to what you do live you know no one's sitting live so like you don't go to war sitting down <laughs> yeah no that's, and that's it's a true good point. i stand up too especially for rhythm especially for rhythm yeah oh yeah absolutely maybe i mean that's maybe the one instance where if i am tracking standing i'll maybe maybe pull the guitar up a little mm-hmm. higher than I normally would live. Yeah. You know, you know, but even so that's just, just more for pragmatics. Cause it doesn't really matter what you look like when you're tracking. Yeah. It doesn't matter <laughs> unless you're kind I mean, of I'm not, feeding I'm not off saying, it yourself. I'm like I am cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm not saying I crank the guitar up to my nipples, you know, no, we agreed on that last time. If, if you touch nipples, it's, 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 it's gone haywire. It's not gone too far. That's, that's, that's gone too far. I think it depends on model as well. When you have a Les Paul, it can't be that high. Like a Les Paul has to be low. Yeah. Whereas you, you can rock a, like a, a Flying V has to be pretty low too, I think. But you can rock like a, a Super Strat or an SG a little higher and it still looks rocking. Yeah. Uh, you know, Angus Young doesn't look like a nerd, for example. No, definitely not. Even though he's wearing a schoolboy costume, <laughs> exactly. he still doesn't look like a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get rolling, I wanted to show you this. So I, I found this beer that was in uh, the local supermarket by my house. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it's from a local brewery. And like any craft beers, you know, they're obviously more expensive than, you know, whatever your chain beer that you could buy. And uh, Three bucks? For, for, no, for craft beer, like they usually come in four packs, 16 ounce cans. Uh-huh. So tall cans, and here they're usually pretty pricey. Like a four pack of sixteen ounce cans can run you anywhere from like you know twelve to fourteen bucks. But I noticed this four pack was sitting on a shelf, and I saw the price was like ten ninety nine. So I was like, mm, that's on that's that's reasonably cheap for this company considering it's a four pack and it's craft. And then I realized, oh, it's probably just overstock that they're just trying to get rid of, which is precisely the case. And so I saw the name of it, and as you could see, it's called 
Well, maybe you can't see, but it's called. I can see. Out of the Keller. It's a um, Amber Keller beer. And, and I saw that and I noticed there was like a guy playing guitar on it and what appeared to be a rat or a mouse. And so I saw that and I saw out of the Keller. And I was like, huh, I wonder if this is a, a rat, a rat beer, a rat reference. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, uh, there's really nothing else on here that indicates it would be rat referenced. So then I ended up looking at the bottom of the can because I was looking for a like a born because they put on their cans like the day the beer was born. Okay. And and I wanted to see how old the beer like if this was like a year old beer. But I mean beer I pro- doesn't get old in the can, right? It can be years old. I mean it probably doesn't lose freshness, but even so. So I looked I tilted the bottom of the can. Mm-hmm. And sure as shit, it says on the bottom of the can, Rat Rules. <laughs> <laughs> the band with two T's. Yes, I'll, I'll, I don't think you'll be able to pick it up on the camera, but I'll send you a picture of it. Yes, it says, sure as shit, at the bottom of the can, Rat Rules. Ah, no, okay, okay. I, th- I wasn't sure if if it was uh, if that was the born-on date or the date it expired or the day it lost freshness. So I actually called the brewery. and, uh, and <laughs> Proactive of you. Yeah, exactly. I was very, I was very, I needed to make sure. So I called the brewery and they're like, Thin Man Brewery. And I was like, hi, I just bought the rat beer from a supermarket. And the guy immediately started laughing. And I was like, yeah, I just, I just wanted to know if the beer, the, the date on the bottom of the can is the born on date or the date it loses freshness. And I'm like, it says December 8th, 2022. And he was like, oh, that's the born on date. It's still good. I go, yeah, I can make that work. All right, thanks yeah, a lot, yeah. dude. <laughs> okay, so I thought you were going to call them and ask, is it a reference to the band rat? No, but, because but no, you, you I'll assume sh- I'll that. Send you just, that was a given. I'll send you the picture. It says, clear as day on the bottom of the can, rat rules. They printed it. Because <laughs> I thought you bought it for risk purposes. You know, tra- no. mouse trap, all that. No, 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 no. I know. I would uh, not. I mean, I probably would buy a beer, but it would probably have to be kind of mediocre at best. Yeah. <laughs> better as an ep maybe they would only sell it as a six ounce can yeah, a, you know? <laughs> a beer that would work uh, uh, in a three pack but not in a six pack right exactly something like exactly that. all right so should we do a proper intro then uh, yeah i'll um i'll try and roll live with it and i'll um i'll uh i'll stop when i get done with what my tr- <laughs> i'll stop where my train of thought stops and you can kind of pick up the ball Say what you got to say, and then whenever you're done, I'll say. So, as a, as a token of appreciation for uh, you hanging in with us for a year, we'd like to uh, do something special for you today, and then that's when we'll interject the risk roulette music. Yeah, yeah. So far, so good. Hi, everyone. Oh, hello, it's Ulrich from Metallica here. Um, I just wanted to wish you congratulations on your one-year anniversary of, of Pod and Man. I like what you did there. I, I see what you did there. Oh, very funny. Oh. Um, yeah, you know, keep up the great work, guys. Um, you know, I'd give you a bit of cash, but uh, we're on our 72 Seasons World Tour at the minute, and we chucked a fuckload of money at that, man. But um, what? What?